Mission Sunday. Yeah. We're going to release the kiddos back to Children's Church, ages 7 to 12, because God has something super awesome for them. It is cookie season. They're starting into a whole new teaching. Um, I'm kind of jealous. You know, every week they get to learn about a different thing about the kingdom of God through different cookies. And man. And then lo and behold, Lydia with her 600 cookie goal, right? You know, as the Girl Scouts. So encourage you to support her. It's so exciting. Um, I don't have cookies for y'all. <laughs> I don't even have a cool object lesson, but well, it's God's word, so it's going to be good, right? Um, but I know this is a day that we've all been waiting for, we've all been eager for, um, the, receiving the vision for this year and what the Lord is up to and what he's doing. Um, now, the, a couple of weeks ago, I had actually shared the challenge that God had for us about living by faith and not by sight, right? Everything we do. In fact, anything done not by faith is sin. Like, that's a pretty bold statement that the Word of God teaches us. Everything in the kingdom is by faith, not by sight. And so it seemed a little contradictory. It's like, okay, God's taking us to that right before vision, which is all about sight. And it, it's just, I love the kingdom of God. It, it seems contradictory, but it's not. It, it is both true. Two things can be true at the same time. It just blows your mind, you know, but it's just a reality that we... we um, we live, really, we don't live by what we see happening around us. We live by what God sees from his perspective. That's really what it means to live by faith and not by sight. It's not really that you're throwing out sight, it's that you, you don't respond according to what is happening around you. You respond according to what God sees happening all around you and that's really how the miracles take place right um in fact we find this in john chapter 5 um you have to bear with me this is not the short message that we're going to be having from now on um this is this is a i wanted to toss out little parts but i just had the conviction of the spirit we gotta leave them in so you guys are most of you are familiar with this encounter right the pool Bethesda, uh where there's a guy laying there um for decades and essentially what happens at the Pool of Bethsaida, this is outside of one of the gates um, near the temple in Jerusalem, is every now and then an angel stirs up the waters. And the first one in gets healed. Whatever it is, whatever ailment, whatever disease, whatever sickness, first one in, they are healed. It's pretty cool, right? It's, it's cool if you hang out with that angel when he's not near the pool. I mean, you know, why, why wait? But anyways... And I'm Steve, by the way, for all those who are visiting. Thank you for joining us. But it's so cool. Anybody, the first one in. So what would happen is a bunch of disabled people would lie there in eager anticipation for their healing to be the first one in. Imagine what that would look like. I mean, when the waters would start to ripple, I mean, people would be like rolling around and jumping and I mean, whatever it took to get there. That's where their hope was. One of them was a man who had been disabled. The Bible calls out for 38 years he had been disabled. He had no one to help him, no family, no friends. So every time the angel visited the pool, he got passed up by other people. Never, ever was he the first one. Now, have you ever felt that way in life? You feel like everyone else is, you know, is succeeding in life and moving forward. And you feel like you take one step forward and you, you end up getting shoved three or four steps back. You can just never get ahead seems like you're just always overlooked you're always pushed down you 
you feel hopeless on your own to change your circumstances. You're waiting on God to move, and it just never seems to happen. Because this man's entire hope was placed in that pool of Bethsaida, in, in, in the hope that at some point he would, you know, be watching when everyone else had their head turned and he could get in there first, or by, by some miracle he could get in there to, to receive his healing. His focus was on that water in hopes that somehow, some way, he would receive his healing. But after 38 years, it never happened. 38 years is a long time. Then one day, it was on a Sabbath day, during a Jewish festival, this guy walks up to him and says, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk! Now, we all know the story, and so we get excited when we hear that statement, because we know who this guy was, but... Again, anytime you read the scriptures, you've got to keep them in context. The scriptures actually say that this guy had no idea who Jesus was. How cruel would it be? Is this like some kind of sick joke for you just to walk up, some stranger, walk up to a strange man and tell this man who's been disabled for 38 years just to get up and walk? Like, what's wrong with you, you know? Now I've had those pep talks myself. What's wrong with you? Just get up and get going, right, you know? But it just, it seems cruel that Jesus would do that. He just walks up to this strange man who's been laying there forever and tells a crippled man to get up, grab his mat, and to walk. Which, by the way, Jewish culture, and if you know the, the written law, you know, this was actually illegal to do. You do not pick up your mat on the Sabbath day. You rest, you do no work whatsoever. What a challenge, what a kind of joke but of course we know that that guy was Jesus and it was not a joke and he wasn't some sick man um, he commanded the man to get up and to walk and it was a cruel joke it was an opportunity for this man to shift his focus away from those waters where his hope was and to put his hope and his focus on Jesus on Jesus it was an opportunity for him to shift his focus because Jesus was better than that Paulus Bethsaida. In fact, Jesus was better than that angel. He's the, the commander of those angel armies, right? And of course, we know that as he responded, he was healed. He was healed. And the best part was, even after he was healed, he still had no idea who this man was. He still didn't know that it was Jesus. So th here's the point. Here's the point of all of this in the mini sermon before the sermon before the sermon. Is, you know, you may have felt that way before in life you may feel that way right now i feel that some of us probably do that's why the lord didn't want me to pull that part out you feel so oppressed life but the question is where is our hope where is our focus because i believe this morning is a time to shift that hope and focus on the person of jesus christ and here's the cool part you don't have to have everything figured out you don't even have to know fully. This man had no idea who Jesus was. He responded to a command. He didn't know this was Jesus. In fact, I don't even know if he knew anything about Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of talk going around you know, Jerusalem about this man, but I don't know if he even knew anything about him. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't even have to know, you don't even have to know the word of God entirely to receive the promise of the word, to receive the fulfillment we just have to place our faith in it. This man literally walked by faith and not by sight. He is an example of one, remember I challenged you a few weeks ago? 
this was an example of it, so I lied, you know. Well, I didn't lie, I just wasn't certain. I'm like, I, I couldn't find anywhere in the scriptures where Jesus sought out a person. I found everybody who received the miraculous who sought after him. This is an example of one dude that Jesus went to. He sought him out and he went to him. And it was not an accident that it was during a festival when all these people were around. It wasn't an accident that was on the Sabbath day. Jesus knew what he was doing. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. Offense. <laughs> Offense. We're going to talk about that and receive healing. Yeah. You know, I think Jesus was just walking by at that point. He didn't actually seek out that blind man. He had just happened to be walking by. And everyone's telling him to shut up, and he refused. Remember? Remember from a few weeks ago? He refused to be shut up. So should we. Cry out to Jesus. He answers. So this paralyzed man chose to get up and to walk, despite the fact that it was impossible, except by the faith that he had in Jesus' word. Faith by this man. His faith was expressed to radical obedience. And in fact, we know that the same thing happened in Acts chapter 3 um, as Peter healed the, lame man, the man who was lame from birth. It happened for Paul as well. I, I love this account. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. In, Le in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth. He had never walked. Never walked a day in his life. And you know that, you know, I've got a little niece that's just learning how to walk. Doesn't automatically happen, you know. This man never walked a day of his life. He was listening to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and Paul somehow saw that he had the faith to be healed. So he stopped in the middle of his message and he called out, stand up to your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. This happened over and over and over again because Jesus Christ is the same one. Yeah, yesterday, today, and forever. Never changes, always the same. He was a healer then, he's a healer now, he's going to be a healer tomorrow. It's what he does, it's who he is. But man, what a challenge of our faith. Think about this. Look at the miracles that happened throughout, especially through the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament. I love that Elijah and Elisha did a lot of the miracles that Jesus did, you know, sort of that precursor, because God never changes. Um, but as a challenge to our faith, how many times throughout the scriptures do we find miracles taking place by people saying, you know, oh Lord, you're good, and we know what your word says, by your wounds we are healed, and so please Jesus, if it's your will, you know, but in the right timing, and you know, we, we give God millions of excuses to not do it right here and right now, don't we? God doesn't need excuses. Every time I see miracles taking place, what happened? It was a command. And it wasn't a silent in your mind prayer. You know, we, we see a few occasions of that. Uh, like, uh, what's her name with Samuel? Um, Hannah, thank you. Hannah. Yeah, Hannah Banana. Anyways. Um, yeah, but, but what we see is faith in play. Not only Paul's faith... That this Jesus who he encountered on the road to Damascus would heal this man. But he saw that this man, I don't know what he saw or how he saw it, but somehow in his spirit he just knew this man has the faith to be healed. And so he told him to get up and to walk. Commanded. And then the healing came. Consider this in your own personal prayer life. Like I know it's a challenge to me. Okay, so that's the second mini message. Woo! We're on a roll. Okay, so 
then when Jesus was challenged for healing on the Sabbath day, he offended so many people by doing this. Jesus said, you know what? I only saw what I saw the Father doing. Jesus saw the fact that this man who had been paralyzed for decades, but he also saw the Heavenly Father healing him. He saw the facts and he saw the truth. Which one are you going to put your faith in? The facts that are around you or the truth of what God declares? Are we going to stand on his word, stand on his promises, not being moved, not being shaken? Are we going to keep, you know, you turn on the news and you'll be shaken in a hurry, right? Of all the, the facts that are happening around us. And it's not that they're not happening. We don't deny it. It's just we trust in the Lord above our own understanding. We trust in his promise that he is able to do. He fully has the power to do what he has promised to do, no matter the, the factual impossibilities. We see from a heavenly perspective and not just a worldly one. That's what faith is all about. Now, there are so, so, so many scriptures about this type of faith. In fact, it's written about Moses in he, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. It says that by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because, this is how Moses did what he did, because we all know Moses required the presence of God to go with him, right? He said he wouldn't take another step. He's like, how else am I different from everyone else in the world? Just the presence of God. That's the only thing that makes him different from anyone else. But I love what Hebrews eleven twenty seven says here. That Moses was able to persevere because he saw him who is invisible. <laughs> and in fact, the New Testament talks about that. We, we worship with inexpressible and glorious joy because we see him who cannot be seen. We're receiving the fullness of our salvation, even though we don't see it, because we see by faith. Now, faith isn't God's vision for us as a church family this year, but this vision requires faith. It requires this kind of faith in what is unseen. Faith that sees not only the facts that are happening around us, but also sees from a heavenly perspective and trusts in God's power to trump the worldly facts with the heavenly truth. We see so many disturbing facts all around, right? I mean, you, you don't even have to watch the news to understand some of the things. All you got to do is go to the store and realize how rough things are getting, you know? And of course, we know that um, as the, the end times draw near, it's not going to get any better, right? But, but you look at some of the things that Jesus had told us to look for in Matthew 24, some of these signs, and we're seeing earthquakes and volcanoes and wars and warmer rumors of wars and you know all these things are happening it's just the beginning it's, it's like the contractions it's the beginning of the birth pains right so we know that things are going to get more severe and no doubt this is sure to be a year of turbulence and tribulation in, in the worldly perspective um there's going to be significant turbulence now we see this but the question is how do we respond to it all and the way that we respond to it is God's vision for us this year as a church. And I believe it's a bigger, not just little C church, but a big C church vision that God is drawing a lot of believers back into. And that is that God is calling us to dwell. God is calling us to dwell. And if you want to get ahead of me, Psalm 91. And I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version. Because it's good. The Amplified Version, Psalm 91. Now this calling is over and over and over again throughout the Psalms. Um, it's actually found several times outside of the Psalms as well, where the Lord calls us to make him our dwelling place. 
the cool thing is, is we're like a kind of hybrid before this whole electric, you know, and gasoline engine thing. We are <coughs> here on the earth, and yet we are also seated where? In heavenly places. Yeah, you guys know your word. Love it. Now, being seated in heavenly places, obviously we're not like twisted and torn and our soul and spirit isn't, it, this isn't about existing in two different planes necessarily, though there's a degree of that. Um, we're aware of the heavenly, you know, things that are happening around us. This, this concept of being seated in heavenly realms, what it means is the, the authority that we have, like the county seat, you know, the court. So you're seated in heavenly realms. You've got authority. That's what changed the disciples, even before the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He sent out the, the 12 and he sent out the 72. And what did he give them to go out? Authority. That's all he did. And it wasn't like he gives you a cool badge and you're like, yeehaw, partner, you know. I got authority. You know, he just said it. He just I, I give you authority. They had to walk by faith that they had the authority to command demons and they fleed. They had the authority to command sickness to leave and it did. And they did. And it happened. Now they encountered a few situations that they couldn't figure out, right? The little boy with, um, not leprosy, but epilepsy. You know, so many C's. So many C's in the medical world that, anyways. But anyways, that's what we have. We have this authority. And, and I think that we often we don't realize the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. So let's go to Psalm 91. And I'm reading again from the Amplified. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will remain secure and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no enemy can withstand. Now this Hebrew word, Yasab, that, that, that we get for to dwell... It, it literally means, you know, translated, it means to abide. It means to inhabit. It means to remain, to tarry, to endure, um, you know, to establish yourself. It, it carries this idea that of a place of permanence. It's a place of permanence. A place where you persevere, where you dwell. Dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. Now, the shelter, the Hebrew word seder, you know, not, not the same as the seder meal, um, that's seder, it's a covering. It's a secret place of protection. It's so cool, a secret place where you're, you're protected. What do you do whenever an enemy comes into your house? If you're me, you grab the pistol by your, you know, bed and the, the shotgun on the way. But if, if you're maybe, I don't know, Nate, would you do that? What would you do if you heard something scary outside? I, I love it. Whenever I was a little kid, you know what I would do? Probably the same thing everyone else does. You might even do this as an adult. You hear something scary, and what do you do? You pull the covers over your head. That's going to protect you. Absolutely. Yep. That, that guy coming in with a knife, he ain't going to see you. You got a, a hedge of protection, a, an, an invisibility cloak, you know. If, if I can't see you, you can't see me. But it gives you the sense of protection doesn't it you know you'd pull the blankets over your head you'd hide you get in the shelter protection now it's silly that you'd find protection in that but find protection in the shelter of the almighty who whose power no enemy can withstand that's a safe place you know 
I don't know, whenever, whenever Nate was a little toddler, what he would do is he would run and hide behind his dad, right, whenever he would get scared. He would. He, he had some interesting fears. Pine cones when he was a toddler. He'd see a pine cone, he'd come running behind me. I know, we'll talk about that another day, another time. But that's what God wants to be. In this scary world where there is craziness happening, where people are believing some pretty bizarre things as truth out there, you know? God wants to be a shelter for us, a refuge, a place of comfort and safety. Now take note throughout this psalm, the horrific facts that are happening out in the world, okay? He who dwells in the shelter most high will remain secure and find rest, find rest. How many of us want rest for our weary souls? You won't find it in any self-help book or, you know, anything out there. You'll find it in God alone, in the shadow of the Almighty. One simple verse. Let's read the rest of the verses. I will say the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. He is my God in whom I will trust with great confidence. And on him alone will I rely. For he will save you from the trap of the fowler. We're going to be talking about that trap offense in the next few weeks. I'm, I'm already there, so I can't wait to get there. We're lagging behind because we canceled a Sunday. Oh, it's going to be so good. He will save you from deadly pestilence. Remember 2020 and the deadly pestilence? Praise be to God, it did not take anyone here. I mean, it took Joe like three or four times. But he is so stubborn pig-headed, he just refuses to die. He just comes right back, you know? Woo! That's an example of what it is to be in Christ, right? Something might take you several times, and it just ain't time yet. So I'm coming right back. He will save you from these things. He will cover you. He will completely protect you with his feathers. It's kind of a cool picture of, of who God is. He will cover you with his, with his feathers. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be a shield and a wall, right? You're probably going to hear a little bit about the wall in the upcoming year. And you're going to hear a lot about it, you know. God will be that wall. You will not be afraid of the terror of the night. You won't be afraid of the arrow that flies by the day or in our walls, right? Um, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Nor the destruction and the sudden death. That lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. Danger will not come near you. Okay, word of God. Like, if they're falling at my side, I call that near me. All right? If a big old black bear comes running through the woods when I'm out there, and he comes right at my side, I call that near me. But... When you are in the Lord, wow. When you are under the protection of his wings and in the shelter, oh, you're far away from that stuff. It may be falling at your side, but it's far from you. Because you are safe, you are protected from it all. In verse 8 it says, you will only be a spectator. You will look on it with your eyes. And you will witness the divine repayment of the wicked... As you watch safely from the shelter of the Most High, you're going to see it happening. We're not going to lie about it. It's factual. It's happening. But it ain't going to touch me. Right? 
It's, it's like that, that Ceresto collar you put on your dogs, you know? Those ticks and fleas are out there, you know? But they're running around right through it, and they're repelled by it. And you can't really see that, but there's a protection over them, you know? Those buggers don't want to go anywhere near that, that which, oh, anyways, I got mixed feelings about some of those chemicals anyways, but you idea in this picture. You can walk right through it and it doesn't touch you. Wow. Why? In verse 9. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. Because you have made the Lord your refuge. Even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you. Nor will any plague come near your tent. He will command his angels in regard to you. We don't have to wait for some angel to come waiting to stir up the waters. The angelic host, they're just waiting, waiting to execute the word of God. Speak it out. Let them hear it. Give them that command. He will command his angels in regard to you to protect and defend and guard all of your ways of obedience and service. They will up in their hands so that you will not even strike your toe against a stone. You will tread Tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample them under your foot. Woo! Because he loves me. That, that's what it is. Verse 14. Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will save him. I will set him securely on high because he knows my name. And he confidently trusts and relies on me, knowing that I will ab never abandon him. No, never. Whew. There's a scripture to, a verse to memorize this year, verse 14 in the Amplified. Just because you love him and you trust in him. Doesn't mean you're doing everything right. Doesn't mean you're not even sinning. He will save you from those things when you call on him. If you're trusting him. And in fact, if you're trusting him, you're going to be obedient to him and you're not going to be sinning, right? You're just <laughs> trusting him and not in your own understanding. In verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. <laughs> Whew. Anybody ever get in trouble before? Does a kid get called to the principal's office? It's scary. Yeah, every time I got the call, hey, Steve, it's, it's Charlie again. You know. <laughs> Sorry if you don't go to Western Oak and you don't know the principal over here and whatnot. We got to know each other on a first name basis. Not because of trouble. I mean, a little bit of trouble, but, but mostly because we serve there and love the school and want to do whatever we can for it. But anyways, he's gone. He's in Elderton now. Um, <laughs> no, he's not. I'm sorry. Out of cyber stuff, okay. Sorry, plans changed. Um, but God has promised to be with us in trouble. To be our refuge, to be our safety, to be our security. Doesn't mean you're not going to see trouble around you. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be stuff happening all around you or at your side. But when you make him your dwelling, when you make him your dwelling, it doesn't touch you. He's with you in that trouble. In fact, it says um, in verse 15, it goes on, it says, I will rescue him. I will honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him. And I will let him see my salvation. And you know, one thing I love about this psalm, Psalm 91, our vision for this year, to dwell, to make the Lord our dwelling place. This 
is the only scripture that the devil quoted to Jesus when he was tempted in Matthew 4. This is the word of God that, that, that the devil used to tempt Jesus. Well, I mean, Psalm 91 says that, uh, you know, his angels, they'll pick you up. You won't even stub your toe. It won't even hurt your foot. So throw yourself down off of this building, right? And of course, Jesus is like, you know what? Well, you don't put the Lord to the test, right? We can do some really stupid things, right? So don't quote this scripture and then do something stupid like throw yourself off a building. It, it's not how it works. That, that's because that is an action that is in opposition to dwelling in the Lord, right? You don't put yourself in harm's way and just keep expecting him to save your butt. Now, he may and he will and he does, you know? I know a lot of us guys have told stories, you know, about how we should have died long ago, all the stupid stuff we've done, but we don't put him to the test. This doesn't mean that we do something stupid with the expectation that God will save us from our own stupidity, right? It means that when we choose to stand with the Lord and on his word, in the midst of opposition, he'll honor and protect us. When you're trusting him, when you're putting your faith in him, his provision will come. His protection will come. A great example of this was, was Daniel and his buddies, right? Oh, oh, yeah, Psalm 91. Daniel and his buddies, when they got tossed in the fiery furnace, right? We all remember this account in Daniel chapter 3. They refused to bow down and worship anyone or anything other than the Lord. They wouldn't put anyone above him or beside him. As a result, they were cast into the furnace. It was so fierce, so intense, that it killed the three soldiers who threw them in. Killed them. And then Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 27 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked everyone around him, his advisors, well, Didn't we toss three men into that fire? You guys know where this goes. I love it. They replied, Yes, certainly, your majesty. He said, But look, I see four men walking in the fire. And they're unbound. They're unharmed. And the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blading furnace and he shouted, Hey, guys, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the, the <coughs> satraps, the, um, I lost my place, I'm sorry, the, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, they all crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair of their heads were sick. Their robes were not scorched. In fact, there was not even a smell of fire on them. That's what it looks like to dwell. Dwell in the safety of the Lord Almighty. Doesn't mean you're not going to go through stuff. Thousand may fall at your side, a hundred, but it won't harm you at all. That's, that's the greatest picture I can find in the Word of God of what it looks like to make the Lord your dwelling. You stand with Him, He'll stand with you. You stand on His Word, he will honor his word. He will honor his name. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ, on his word, on his promises, he's not going to let you down. He'll be right there with you. In fact, what did they say before they got tossed in the fire? God's able to, but even if he doesn't. They knew their dwelling place. Even if their bodies got scorched and burned alive and they died, they still knew they were safe. They were with the Lord. You can't keep a Christian down. When you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes your way. Not even death can steal you away. You still win. 
You still have the victory, right? It's an exciting life to live. <sighs> That's what it looks like. God's presence doesn't always take us out of troubling circumstances in life, but it always protects and perseveres us through them. We can liken it like a uh, park pavilion. A park pavilion when this big old, you know, storm comes through, a severe thunderstorm. Though all around us there's downpouring, it's causing flooding, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and it's scary. But we stand in the middle of that storm as dry as can be, bone dry. Even though it's pouring all around you. You can see it. You can hear it. You can even feel and sense the severe storm all around you. But you are safe. Just because of the shelter that that dwelling place provides. That pavilion is a dwelling. It's not a very good dwelling either. I mean, but in a storm, it sure does the trick, doesn't it? You're safe. It's happening all around you. Well, in the most high, it doesn't touch you. You don't even smell like fire. You're not even but down. But if I were to choose to take even just a single step outside of that shelter, what's going to happen? You're going to be soaked. And what happens when you jump back into the shelter? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Is it just like an instant dry? No, you still feel the sting of stepping out of his dwelling place, don't you? And the Lord has a purpose behind that. The Lord has a purpose behind not saving us from the, the consequences of our own stupidity to teach us, because he loves us. Discipline us so we don't do it again, right? <sighs> wow. If I choose to dwell in the shelter, I remain dry and I am kept safe, and so it is with the Lord. So how do we do that? How do we dwell in the shelter of the Most High? Well, none of us just accidentally step into our homes, right? Are, are any of you guys squatters? You, you just you saw a house that was empty and you made you just lived there and that was it? It's your home? No. In fact, if any of you... Now, we've got a nice home and we've had several nice homes, but I don't think my wife has ever stopped looking at Zillow. Does anybody else just... Yeah, I, I can tell, you know? You know, or always checking out, like, oh, we could do this, we could do that. You know, this would be so cool. And, oh, goodness. But anyways, that's a whole other message for another time. <laughs> but it doesn't accidentally happen. Your house, your dwelling place accidentally. Um, you know, you, you weren't, um, you know, you weren't just walking down the street, walking into the house, and then it was yours. Um, you know, whether you're buying or renting a home, it requires a huge commitment from us, doesn't it? It's a commitment. Huge one. It's a process. It takes time. It requires faith through, through relationship with the current owner of the property and usually with a bank and a realtor as well. I mean, they actually, they have statements that they make. I don't know if you've ever received one or not, but when you buy a house, they give you a one sheet and they, in good faith, give you a statement of everything they know that's wrong with the house, right? They literally call it a good faith statement, even in the legal world. Um, you know, it takes faith. Um, and then once you actually make all these agreements, you work in cooperation, and you finally close on the sale, well, then you own a property. But that property still isn't your dwelling place. It isn't your dwelling place until you move all your stuff inside of it, right? Some of you have done that, and you're still living out of, uh, you know, the, these, what do you call them, the rental places, the storage sheds, yeah. Until you move all your stuff in, your family, your pets, you know, whatever, 
Um, and you customize it, and you make that property your home. And it's not just a one-time event either. A dwelling requires constant maintenance and attention that requires an ongoing commitment from us, doesn't it? Right? It always amazes me when you're driving down these streets and you see some of these houses. The only thing that happened to that house is someone moved out of it. But because nobody lives there, how quickly nature takes back its own, doesn't it? crazy to make a house your dwelling take a commitment and an ongoing sacrifice to stay in it to make that house your home however whenever we take care of our dwelling our dwelling takes care of us it provides a place where we can experience the abundance of life and safety and security separated from the rest of the world it can become a sanctuary a place where some of the great memories that we ever experience in life are forged with friends and family. So how do we do that? First of all, we pray. We pray, we pray, we pray. And this isn't, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And don't you dare quote it from the other gospel. You know, you go to some of these churches and you start quoting the, the Lord's Prayer from the other gospel, and they look at you funny. They're like, I ain't right. You ain't doing it right. You don't know God's word. It's like, I'm, I'm in this gospel, not the other. But anyways... And I'm, I'm, I'm in NIV, not King James, or I'm in the New Living. And anyways, I'm so sorry. I know. It's been long and dry, but just bear with me here. To pray, it is a continuous, ongoing conversation with God. Because you love him. My wife loves me. She never stops calling me and talking to me. She's on her break at work. She's calling me. She's on her way to work. She doesn't call me because I'm sleeping. She's on her way home. She calls me and she's talking to me. Just, it's, you know, sometimes she thinks she annoys me and sometimes she does. But uh, mostly I appreciate it because I know she loves me. And all she wants is just share her day with me, you know, right? She's in the room, so I got to watch myself now. She came in early. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray continuingly. Depending on the translation, continually, unceasingly, persistently, all the time, no matter what happens. That's my favorite translation, the message. All the time, no matter what happens, be in prayer with God. Make your life a life of prayer. That's how you start making the Lord your dwelling. Communication and mutual understanding. They're critical aspects of any relationship and it's no different to our relationship with God. We are to pray continually. It's not only sharing what's on our hearts and minds with God, but it's also paying attention to what's on his heart and mind. It's listening to God, giving him a chance to respond, listening to his voice as he declares his word all through all creation in all kinds of different ways. To dwell in the Lord requires us to keep in step with him. For example, when Israel left Egypt... When Israel left Egypt, it was via a pillar of cloud by day and what by night? Fire. We love the fire of God here in this place. He is an all-consuming fire. Yeah. He directed people through angelic visitation, dreams, visions, an audible voice, a burning bush, through all kinds of different ways through nature. He is a creative God and he can speak to us in countless other ways as we just seek after him in prayer. So pray. Continually, constantly, persistently, all the time, no matter what happens. Ask, seek, knock, and guess what? He'll answer, you'll find him, and he'll open the door, right? It's, it's the promise of God. Okay. Secondly, we praise. 
this is not only a house of prayer, this is a house of praise, just like the temple was. And I'm not talking about these four walls. I'm talking about these houses, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, how do people in church like to make declares and proclamations? How do we like to pray? God gave you this thing for a reason. And I know you all know how to use it, right? Especially when you get passionate about something. We need to get passionate about Christ, right? Declare his word. Proclaim his praise. Doesn't happen quietly. I mean, I could go over all these scriptures. Psalm 25. My tongue will proclaim your praises all day long. All day long. Psalm 79 and 13. We are your people and we will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will proclaim your praise. Acts 13 too. While they are worshiping the Lord, while they are fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the word I called them too. When they were together worshiping the Lord, that was not in quietness. It wasn't. There's nothing quiet about that day, that event. You look at the day of Pentecost, it was so loud and calamitous that, that people came. What in the world is happening in this place? Can you imagine people driving 95 and like, what, what is going on? And they come back just to see what is happening in this crazy place, you know? That's what was happening in the upper room on and it wasn't happening for a couple hours one day it was almost 40 days and nights they were together continuously in prayer and worship and praise waiting on something they didn't even know what they were waiting for they didn't even know what it was going to look like when they received it all they knew is they were waiting for a gift from God how do we wait on God's promise Jesus promised them how did they wait and then Jesus promised them, how do we wait? Kind of like the young man in Zacchaeus here, you know. How do we respond? One, salvation came to the household, and one walked away sad and pitiful, headed toward hell, right? How are we going to respond? How are we going to wait on the promise? Nothing puts our problems and troubles in this world in proper perspective like worship. Exalting the Lord through worship, it invites his manifest presence into our lives. It keeps our focus on him all throughout the day. We of the scriptures where praise to God resulted in resolving their problems. They were doing nothing but praising, and God went ahead of them and fought their battles and won them for them. They didn't have to do anything. They're just praising. Worship is bowing down our lives. It isn't about instruments and song or lifting hands or clapping or jumping or dancing or flags. I mean, all these are expressions of worship. But true and proper worship is bowing your life down. And if you can't do that through song, I don't know how in the world you're going to do that when someone's going to take off your head unless you deny Jesus. If you can't do it among family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, if you can't lift his name high, then I don't know how you're going to do it when things get rough, when trouble comes your way. It's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of bowing down ourselves. Who cares what I look or sound like? And exalting Jesus. He's going to get praise. 
Romans 12.1, we all know that. Whether by a song or any other of the countless expressions of worship, fill your soul with praise to God. That will allow no room for doubt, for worry, for depression, for anxiety. It all has to flee when you're focusing on Christ and exalting Him. And then finally, so we want to be in continuous prayer, continuous praise. And finally, three, we proclaim. This is pretty similar here. Regardless of what comes our way, we choose to stand firmly upon and choose to proclaim God's unchanging truth. We stand on his word. On his word, on his deeds, on his character, on who he is. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 2, Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Hold nothing back. Jeremiah was not a very beloved prophet. He was hated. He was despised for the stand that he took. That he did what God called him to do. Right? Lift up a banner, proclaim it to the nations and hold nothing back. What a word for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, shout it from the rooftops. That's what Jesus told us to do. Luke chapter 9 verse 60, I love this. Okay, so he, he gave the disciples authority and he told them to go. And what did he tell them to do? You just quietly pray through the towns that you're going through. No. Jesus said, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim it. It's here. I, I love that Jesus explained that in, in Luke. And he said, whenever people say that, you know, Jesus is here, you don't have to go looking for it. Because the kingdom of God, it's not here or there. It's in your midst. It's right here. You want to encounter the kingdom of God? Here it is. Bring people into that encounter, right? The early church, it said in Acts chapter 5 verse 42, that day after day, whether in the temple courts, which is kind of like in church, you know, in, in our culture, in their Jewish culture, whether they were here in these four walls, in the temple courts, whether they were going from house to house, hanging out with each other, they never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news about Jesus, that he was the Messiah. They never stopped doing it. That's how they were successful, right? They just never stopped telling people the good news about Jesus. In fact, we're going to be celebrating communion here next. Communion, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I typically quote from, Communion is a proclamation of the Lord's life and death until he comes again. That's what it says. Verse 26, right? Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? You proclaim. You're making a proclamation even through communion. Christianity is not a quiet, private faith. It is a very public, loud faith. There's only one time that I ever read in the scriptures that heaven got quiet, right? And if you don't know, ask Daryl. There's only one time it's ever quiet in heaven. Whew, think about that. There's power when we speak in agreement with what God has declared. Because prophecy, it is not just foretelling what is yet to come. It is also foretelling God's word and his promises into your current circumstances. If you're tired of the way life is, then find a promise of God and start telling your problem about the promise. Start speaking it in. A great example of this is Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. 
Ezekiel spoke a prophetic word to the Lord into that valley as the Lord instructed him to. Dry bones came together, breath of life entered back into them. They became an army. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and they don't doubt in their heart, but they believe that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, there's a lot of problems with the Word of Faith movement, but I think we've gotten a little too far away from it because the Word of God I think that it is time for God's people to start speaking faith. Speaking God's word into those circumstances. If you're tired of your ankle hurting, tell it. What, I wish Megan was here. What do we, what, what do, we do Nate, to our, in our family when somebody is anxious about something? And they're all worked up and you can tell. They're just worried about it. What do we tell them to do to their anxiety? Shout it out. What do we tell it to do? Tell them to go in Jesus. Yeah! Tell it to go. Now, you know, the results are different. But, um, but that's what we do. Whenever you're a little guy and fear came in, what did we tell fear to do? And what do you start doing? Yeah. From, from little, you know, it's just the, the way we felt, you know, and, and the way we felt to raise our families the same way we feel to raise our family. When fear starts to come in, Tell that fear where to go. Come on. When anxiety and worry start to come in, tell it where to go. There's no place for that in your life. You're a person of faith. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And we are going to proclaim the fears of my brain. We're not going to agree with the anxieties of the world. We're going to speak and declare and proclaim the truth of God's word. So this year, let's intentionally... And continually pray, praise, and proclaim. Because if we do that, we're going to dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. And in His shelter, we will find peace and comfort and safety. A hundred may fall at our side, a thousand at the other, but it won't touch us. We will only see, see the judgment of God, the justice of God, justice of God. All around us on the wicked. So who's ready to dwell? 